Hey friends, I am so excited about this episode. So if you follow me on social media, you know a few weeks ago I was promoting this bring all of your faith questions. So basically what that looked like is my husband and I set up a free Zoom call. So my husband went to seminary and he just knows a lot of things. (laughs) And I have been on this quest to answer my own questions, you know, just deciding for myself what why do I believe in the creation story? Why do I believe in Jesus? You know, I don't want to just because someone told me so, or because I live in the South, or, you know, I wanted that to just really be my own. And through a lot of different circumstances, I've, I've just come to really understand my faith a lot more. And so all that being said, my husband and I wanted to host a free Zoom call, just answering any questions that you may have. So that went really well, and we had some great questions. But before we get into that, I want to unpack this million-dollar question, why do bad things happen to good people? That is the title of this episode, and that is something I knew that people would ask when it comes to, you know, just generalized faith questions. And so since we had that live event and Today, as I'm editing and getting this podcast episode ready to air tomorrow, we just got back from visiting the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, which is in Kentucky. It was our kids' fall break last week, and so um, my husband and I took the kids. Wonderful, wonderful experience. I highly recommend, you know, just having conversations and talking about stuff that unfortunately isn't taught in schools. And it's so ironic, too, because there was actually one spot where I took a picture And some of you may know this, but the New Testament, for example, has 23,700 sources. It is backed up over 23,000 times um, the accuracy. Like we know this to be true by so many different sources. And other things that we teach in school, like the history of Rome, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Okay, let's just take this, for example, natural history, just in general, natural history has 200 backed up sources, 200. And the New Testament has 23,000, yet we're not teaching that in schools. I mean, I'm just saying, it was fascinating. But this isn't an ad for the Creation Museum or anything. I just want to answer, since we've been there and we've seen so many cool things and able to experience and just live out, you know, the creation story, I feel like I'm better to better equipped to answer this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I first want to say I started asking this question myself, um, probably at a younger age than most people, because my mom taught special needs kids and very severely, you know, not just like learning disabilities, she had kids um, in electric wheelchairs and feeding tubes. And so it was just normal for me growing up to see um, suffering and kids my age, just walking through so many different, you know, unique circumstances that that wasn't ideal. You know, good friends that I knew had seizures. We had family friends and all three of their children had muscular dystrophy, which essentially is just a terrible disease that essentially your muscles just deteriorate as you get older and rarely do you make it past your 20th um maybe even 30th birthday. So, all three of their children had it. I just I saw very early age um bad things happening to good people. And I didn't really grow up, you know, when we went to church occasionally, we said we were Christians, but that wasn't like a huge part of my life. And so, but I did start asking this question and then just started seeking um, answers and stuff like that. So I think the best way to answer this question is remembering that this is not the way it was created to be. That in the very beginning, God made a good world. He made it good. He made a garden of Eden where there were no weeds. There's a lot of evidence that actually all animals were herbivores at this time because there was no death. There was no, like we have an outdoor cat and he's a little murderer. Like it's, it's terrible, but uh, animals didn't do that in that day. There was, there was plentiful 
herbs and plants and, and berries. And, you know, man didn't have to work. It was all just abundance. And I don't have any ancient Polaroids, but I'm pretty convinced Adam was like smoking hot. And then he went to sleep and then God created this beautiful Eve for him. And he was like, thank you, Jesus. He had this smoking hot wife and like they were blissfully filling the earth. Like this was a utopia. This was perfect. And it said that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. This was the way we were created to walk in this perfect garden with a perfect God. We were sinless. We were blameless. Like the world, there was no hurricanes, like everything. I'm convinced like there was no extreme temperatures, no like a hundred degrees or no zero degrees. Like this was a beautiful, perfect world. And as we know, sin entered the world. And since then we just haven't been the same. And with sin entering the world, then we have suffering and cancer and diseases. Uh, and backing up, Adam lived till he was 900. Okay. And most of the descendants of him lived for multiple hundreds of years because we were created to live forever in a garden. So yes, Adam and Eve lived until their 900s. Like, I don't know, at one point you get wrinkles when you live that long. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the way we were created. Okay. So we were good. We were created to live forever and then sin entered the world. And so did earthquakes and disaster and sickness and spina bifida and muscular dystrophy and all of this ache. And, you know, in Romans, it says that the whole world groans for his return. Like there there's groaning, there's this hunger because we all kind of, if, if we're honest with ourselves, if we kind of have this deep thinking, we all know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think that that is put in us by our good and heavenly father, knowing that this isn't our home, that heaven is our home and that we were meant for, you know, to live forever with our heavenly father. We were meant for that. We were meant, um, not to live in this, these broken bodies in this sinful world, that there is something more. So we live in this past Genesis three world, but we were created for Genesis one and two, which is the very beginning with this beautiful utopia. So then begs the question, well, then why didn't God just make us not sin? Why did he give us that option? You know, he could have very well just made human beings to live in the garden with him forever. And there wouldn't be sin and death and suffering and cancer and everything else. But here's the thing, guys giving us no choice isn't true love. If he just, that would just kind of be making us robots. You know, God created everything, the fish and the birds and the flowers. And can we just talk about how beautiful he made everything too? I'm looking right now and the leaves are just erupting in color. If I were God and let's be thankful that I am not, I just wouldn't be so creative. And I've heard it said, and I think this is really brilliant that God created function, but even more than that, he created beauty. Because the leaves turning colors have a purpose, yes. And the flowers blooming have a purpose for pollination. But even more than that, they are beautiful. Because they could do all of that and be functional with far, far fewer varieties, you know? And far, far fewer fragrances and, and just eruptions of color and beauty. But he made all of it beautiful, even more than functional. And again, I believe that's also a reminder on this broken world that there is more, that there is a heaven, there is a home, a beautiful home with our father in heaven. And this, there's more than just this broken world than we always see. But he didn't just make us robots. He gave us this option of choice because he's a good and loving father. He said, here's everything. Here's everything you could possibly want. But here's this one thing I'm asking you not to do. And they're like, this is the oldest in the book. This is what we all do. Like, God, 
God loves me. He wants what's best for me. He, he, surely I know better than God. I mean, ultimately that's what they were thinking. Like, I mean, did he really say we couldn't eat from this fruit? I mean, God, God will forgive me. Like, that's what we still do. We still do that all of the time. And you know, it's the oldest sin in the book and it's still the most common, but God gave us that choice because that is true love. You know, if I just kind of somehow domineered my kids and they had to love me or a better example is my spouse. Like if, if Brian didn't have a choice and he, he had to love me, like that's not, that's not true love. I mean like, ugh, you know, like you thank you for being a wonderful husband, but you don't have a choice. Like that's, that's not true love. And our loving heavenly father who knows all and knows our heart knows also that true love is choice. And so while it breaks his heart when we turn away from him, us just to not have a choice, like that's not true love. But the incredible thing about all of this, and this is the gospel that even though we are a rebellious race, <laughs> even though we're like, God, thank you for everything. Thank you for the air in my lungs and the breath and the incredible way that you created our brains that scientists yet fully don't even understand. And the world that you've given us, there's beauty all around us, even though we are out of the Garden of Eden. And even though there are, you know, hurricanes and weeds, like even though there's mess, there's still so much beauty and you've given us all of that, yet we still turn away from you. God, knowing all of that, seeing all of that, even in the beginning, he knew and foresaw he would send the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins. And this is something I saw a lot in the Creation Museum as well. So in case you don't know, you know, back in the Old Testament days before Jesus, when people sinned and did wrong, there was animal sacrifice. So out of the Garden of Eden, you know, Garden of Eden, perfect time with God. Sin entered the world and then there was sacrifice to sin because you have this barrier at this point, this holy and perfect God. He could no longer be in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's like this perfect, perfect being. And then there's, it's a separator. It's like gunk in between. And we, we just, we're separated. I don't know how best to explain it. You know, I've had, I've heard it seem like a big chasm or like the Grand Canyon, like we're on one side and God is on the other. Um, and so to bridge that gap, there was sacrifice. And if you've ever read Leviticus and Numbers, it's a painful read, but I was just doing the Bible in one year and there's like rule after rule after rule of sacrifices. And you're like, oh my gosh, ah. but it's so cool now because we are living in the New Testament world where Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so all of the sacrifice to pay for our sin. And then we get to Jesus and he's like, no more of all of this. Like, I love you guys too much. You have to keep doing all of this business and all these rules. I'm done with rules. And it's so funny because people say like Christianity is a bunch of rules. Like, no, it's freedom because Jesus said, I'm taking all of that sin. I'm taking all of that weight on me, nailing it to the cross. And it's so crazy because if anyone could have, you know, said I have rights, so to speak, and um, my home, is, I, I'm a king. Like, I don't need this nail cross. I don't need this pain. I don't need this suffering. Like, don't you know who my daddy is? And we're, we're such an entitled generation. And we're like, oh, and our heavenly father who deserved everything was born in a stinky major. Oh my gosh, y'all. I'm just like, oh, he paid the sin price for us. And that is the gospel. And that is the freedom that we're walking in today. So all of that being said, I hope that that better unpacks that question for you. We're going to get into it more in the episode, but I couldn't just not share that with my fresh eyes from coming from the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Highly recommend. 
Anyways, here are some more questions that were asked on our live Zoom call. Bring all of your faith questions. My husband and I answering them all. Here we go. If you are in your 20s hoping there is more to life than boys and Bacardi, you are in the right place. Katie Ballmer has been a keynote speaker to over 60 colleges nationwide, encouraging 20-somethings to realize their worth, find their calling, and not date their bags. But seriously, Katie is an author, viral TikTok creator, wife, mom of two girls, and your adopted aunt that you never knew how bad you needed. Ready to have some real conversation tackling the hottest topics? This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. This is my husband, Brian, in case you don't know that. <laughs> I'm Brian Bulmer, and um, Katie invited me to be here. <laughs> what nice of you to be here. <laughs> no, but like you, you're, you went to seminary and all that. Yeah, I went to seminary and um, worked in ministry for about 10 years and working college life now and done that for about 10 years as well. So kind of a mix of those two worlds. We work with 20-somethings in our church, um, try to help them navigate the world and work with married couples sometimes. Yeah. So and you did, kind of the gambit. You did youth ministry for like eight years, 10 years? Yeah. Youth education, singles. Yeah. yeah. All points in between. Yeah. So just lots of different, um, you know, conversations, of course, around the subject of faith and how that applies and all that kind of stuff. And um, if you don't know me, my name is Katie. I'm a speaker to sororities and host the Truth for Your 20s podcast and just have a passion for um, for a younger me. What do you say? I just said, woo, woo. Woo, woo. yeah. Anyway, so that's us. And I just want to open this to you guys. We can go for five minutes or 50 minutes. Like this is up to you. And in case you also missed um, on, you know, the kind of the wording on the emails, we're recording this and sharing it on the Truth for Your 20s podcast, because um, I'm hopeful we'll have some good conversations and it will help everyone who, um, who listens in. So that is us. So I'll go ahead and let you guys have the floor. I can go first. If- Thanks, Annalise. Yes. If- Okay, so this was one of the questions that you had um, kind of like advertised maybe to ask, um, but I think it's a really good one because it's the number one thing that I see, like when I'm scrolling through TikTok or something and I see people say, this is why I'm not a Christian or whatever. It's always, I don't want to believe in a God who allows bad things to happen or why would he allow these things to happen? Um And for me, that is a hard thing to address. Like, I don't know how to answer that when talking to people. Yeah, it's a popular question and I knew it would come up. So I'm glad that you went ahead and just started with that. But do you want to go first and then I can? I can't. I know for me, it was a journey. And I think not trying to cop out of the question, but I think the the most helpful thing that somebody can do is kind of research out. So I probably would recommend more things that I kind of used to help me research it out, but there's a book that's gotten a little bit older now, but still a great book called Case for Faith. Um, It was written by Lee Strobel, I believe, and he interviewed like different people in university life, as well as just kind of all over the country and kind of taking on different questions. And the first one that he dealt with was this idea is why does a good God allow these different things to happen? And so that kind of started me reading that book and the book got addressed because there was a guy that used to tour around with Billy Graham. He was like a famous evangelist who went all over the world and he saw a picture of a little boy that was kind of like um, overbloated from malnourishment. And he was like, how can a good God allow this to happen? And so the case for faith book is really him looking at all these things that this guy said made it impossible for somebody to believe in Christ and to believe in faith and kind of go from there. And so the gist, which is not very satisfying. I mean, my father, just to be honest, is not the greatest person in the world. 
And I, um, you know, was impacted by him and probably have some things that impact me to this day from him. But basically, there's a few things that play that allow evil to take place. And once again, I don't know, I doubt any of these will be very satisfying answers, but I think they at least get the ball rolling. And that's where I really think people have to do their own research, because everyone who's on the call today, there could be a particular evil, if you will, that's bothering you that's different for everybody here. Um, and so there's not a one size fit all encompassing answer. I think there's some general things that you can look at. One, we're all sinful. And when sin comes into the world, that also means that evil is present. Now, the nice thing about evil being present is that we understand the difference between that and what God has for us. And so it's not a good thing. It's a thing I would rather not have, but that is one of the things that that allows for. Cause I know like for myself, when I became a Christian, I think the reason why being a Christian stuck so strongly for me is I knew what it was like to be sinful. And so when I became a Christian, I knew what it was like to follow after Christ. And that's not everybody's story, but I know that that helped me in my journey, but it does get hard. I mean, there's, there's questions that I still struggle with. Like my, my grandmother who's passed away was not a Christian and I prayed for her all the time. And I'm like, why did she never become a Christian? And that's, and that's a difficult thing that I would tell everybody here today that I still struggle with, but I still have faith in God and who he is, his wisdom. And though it may feel like a cop-out, just knowing that his wisdom is greater than mine. So I think sin allows evil in the world. There's kind of some book suggestions there on things that are probably by people who are smarter than me that can know that question. And you may have some stuff to add. Yeah. So, um, I think that it's first is a flawed question because good things, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, I look back in my own life and, and the boys I cried over ended up being the best thing ever, you know, um, the, like just, there's some crap that I walked through that it was a bad thing. They ended up being really good. There was a study done and people like they just interviewed people on the streets. Who do you think is going to heaven that, you know, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, your pastor, the number one answer was themselves. Themselves are the people that are going to heaven. So so who determines who is good and who determines what is bad? And so that's when we get into there has to be an ultimate truth. And of course, our society today is you do your truth, which is not no <laughs> that doesn't work we all know it doesn't work we all even the most unchristian among us we cling to and we crave truth we need this like ultimate right and wrong and so going back to why do bad things happen to good people it's a flawed question and at the end of the day his ways are higher than us again that and i think that's what we're getting into, into his question like i can't explain you know Hitler is a bad person who had money and there's great people who, you know, are suffering. Like all of that is because we have sin in this world. I think at the very beginning, like God, our good God didn't want that. He had created this utopia for Adam and Eve to live, you know, in happiness and plentiful and all the good things. And then, you know, I think sin not inter only entered human lives, but I think that that's when tornadoes and hurricanes and like it, the Bible says the whole earth groans for his return. So, I mean, that, that question can unpack and unpack and unpack so many different um, facets of the Christian life. But yeah, the short of it is it's a flawed question and our God is bigger than what we see. And it's still, even with all of that, even the stuff we can't explain, he is still working it all out for the good of those who love him. And so even when I'm like stressed about stuff, the thing that I say over and over again is God, you are good. And I trust you. Even if, even if, even if God, you are good. And I trust you. So I hope that helps. Uh, we got a question here. How do you suggest getting into a good routine of reading your Bible? This is something that I've always struggled with, but really want to get better about. 
You read that Sacred Pathways book. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of talks about the different, like, people approach. I mean, a few things I would say about reading the Bible is in this can kind of get all of us, but we tend to tie it to something that doesn't always happen every day for us. And so then it makes it hard. So like if you tie it to when you wake up for school or work or whatever it may be, and then the weekends, it kind of goes away. And so what I've always encouraged, like the students I work with is try to find something that you can tie it to that happens every day. So perhaps breakfast, perhaps um, if you don't eat breakfast every day, you know, is there like it's always wise to have a morning routine. So is there something in your morning routine that you can tie it to that's going to get done every day, even on the weekends? Because even now I'll struggle because it kind of gets tied to how my morning goes. And sometimes things in my morning will kind of change that. So like, um, and so that will cause it to struggle for me. But I've just learned that the biggest mistake we make is we tend to tie it to um something that doesn't happen every day and we're like oh this is a good time because like, as soon as you start with, they're like oh I'll do it right when I get home from school and then you know they just never did it on the weekends right so it's or um or yeah or summer or anytime you had a break then all of a sudden you're not doing it and so trying to tie it to something um sometimes people set an alarm on their on their watch or on their phone and like when that goes off they try to have it then so they mix it into the morning that way um the the easy thing too is if you get distracted a lot try to turn off you know the distractions because a lot of times we can go oh have the best intentions about starting and we get started and then you know the the somebody texts us or there's alert that comes to our phone or anything that can distract us seems to distract us but to say like hey i'm gonna get up at 6 a.m and do my um, devotion. The problem is that when Saturday and Sunday gets here, you know, let's be honest, we're not going to do it that way. So I think that's the big thing is try to find something to tie it to you that you do consistently um, that will help you. And that's that's helped a lot of people that I've talked to with that, which is kind of a simple kind of first. Yeah. Step. And then also like there's so many different ways to connect with God, like, you know, just like with us, with each other. Um, it's not always dinner in a movie. You know, there's so many different ways to connect with. So like, I really like prayer walking. I'm a busy body. I like to move and I enjoy moving my feet. And uh, someone told me, a counselor told them that there's something about that ambulatory thing of moving your feet. And, um, and I just pray for my family. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for um, college students because y'all are my people. Um, so, so that's something I really like to do. I love the idea of a war room and I know people who do that. Well, um, I've tried to do that. I, I want I have to, to explain war room just because you haven't seen oh, the movie. Yeah. So it's a movie. Essentially it's like getting a closet or getting like, there's just a little corner in your house and like writing prayers on the wall. I think it's beautiful and amazing. And I highly recommend if that's something that can be your jam. Um, I haven't succeeded in that really well but I mean but that's okay like I'm you know and maybe it's seasons of life maybe you know when my kids are older or whatever it'll be something I like and maybe that speaks to you and sounds really cool but um but yeah those are those are then those are just two different ways some people like to um commune with God through like you know art and stuff but we'll encourage you like sometimes certain scriptures and some are more juicier than others sometimes they're just boring and hard to understand and I think that that's okay to admit like we were just talking to our kid the other day and she was like, I wish cross country was just the meets because that's the fun part. That's like saying, I wish football was just Friday nights. Like you have to put in the not glamorous, the not fun, like, you know, going like the gym, going to the gym is not always fun. Like brushing your teeth is not always fun, <laughs> but there are, but those consistent daily work, that's what makes you stronger. And so just telling yourself that if you're not having this high moment where you're dancing in the sunshine and communing with God, like that's okay. You're doing the hard work to have that growing relationship. There's a 
follow up to that, feel free to ask. Yeah. And I know we just said a lot. So if you have questions about all that stuff we talked about, like, or new questions. Yeah. Jump it in there. It's like she said, it shall stop. I talk with my hands. No, thank you. I think that that was super helpful. Um, Kind of going off of that also, do you have like any suggestions? I know I see a lot of like even just advertisements for like different Bible studies or like guides to go with it. Do you think that those can be helpful? And if so, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I think it depends on like kind of what you feel like would help you. And my big thing is try different things. So like sometimes people will literally take the Bible and kind of study it out Sometimes what's helpful is to try to write an application from what you learned that day. So like one of the things that is really cool that you can do with the Bible, like when you're reading through it, it kind of help motivate in that is you can look for those God moments as well as the way that God's being recognized in that and then praying that back to God. So like if you see where, you know, God is, you know, poured his wisdom into somebody, then, you know, thanking God for his wisdom and thinking that he pours it into people, but it kind of gets you like actively involved in what you're reading. But I think try multiple things out. You may like a little journal book where you can write out something to the side. You may like the Bible app that gives you, you know, a bunch of different, the problem is a lot of times those end. And then when you're done with that little series, so you always want to think ahead. So like if you're, you know, reading something on the Bible app and it's five days, well about, you know, when you have two days left and you start thinking about what's your next or kind of load up some in the queue, if you will, for the Bible app and, you know, plan what's next. And if you don't like something and you're not, you find yourself not wanting to read it, they have hundreds more, you know, go to number next. Or if you pick up a little journal book and you're not using it well, then, you know, that doesn't fit where you are right now. And you might pick it up a year later or three months later, and it might be perfect for you. So I think, giving yourself grace to know that the different seasons that you're in and not try to do too much. I would rather you consistently read your Bible and grow from it than try to get through all of it in the year. You know, that's going to help you more than, okay, I got to get this. Now I got to read this old Testament. And I, that was really interesting, but I don't have time because I got to, Oh no, I missed, you know, reading this part of it. Now I'm behind and you quit, right? Yeah. That doesn't do you any good. I'd rather it take you two years or three years to get through the Bible, but you consistently read through it. And I have some, what I'll do is the, the, you guys who register for the call and then also in the show notes of the podcast have a few suggestions, but some devotions that I have really loved um, are a hundred days to brave by Annie F. Downs. Like I said, I'll give you these links. And what I'm currently reading is the best. Yes. By Rebecca Lyons. And that's been amazing. A game changer for me. I had a lot of anxiety about going to New York. I just had to go there for speaking. And like, she literally moved to New York was having anxiety attacks on the subway. And like, she was talking about going anyway and doing brave things. And I'm like, you're speaking to my soul. Anyways, both of those have been really helpful for me. Um, of course there's, there's dozens other Jenny Allen is an author. Um, I don't have a specific one that to suggest, but she has does a, a lot of great devotion. So those are a few I can throw out there. But that Rebecca Lyons book for Katie, like had it been two years ago, yeah. she may not have been interested. Yeah. And so that kind of goes back to my point is that sometimes there's seasons. And that's another great thing. If you're not beholding yourself to like, I must read the Bible in a year, then if God leads you just like you did with the question earlier about the, you know, why does God allow, you know, bad things happen to good people? And I began that journey and kind of reading books to grow in that during that season, that was really fascinating to me. And now I'm on to other things, right?
Hey friends, I hope you're loving this conversation as much as I am. I want to let you know for the month of October only, I'm offering discounted mentoring. So you can book a time with me. I have my calendar available and you pick any time that works for you. And we set up a time to chat for only $29. And that also gives you the link to unlimited discounted mentoring. So if you like what we talked about, want to check in with me in a week, in a month or whatever, you can continue to do that for that $29 price. Used to be only exclusive to people who have booked me in the past. That is for you if we have had a conversation before or for anyone out there, discounted mentoring for October only. I hope that you check out the link right under here in these show notes and we can have a little coffee date. But seriously, it's really not that complicated. You just pick a time that works for you on my calendar. And at that time, I call you and we talk. And it could be about anything. Usually it's about boys, but sometimes it's about finding your calling. Sometimes it's about just what you want to do when you grow up. Whatever it is, I want to be your adopted big sister. That is what I live for, being who I needed when I was younger. So check it out. This month is a great discount. So the link will be there for you in the show notes. This kind of goes off, I guess, what you're saying about different seasons. Um, But if you have more light on this, you can tell me. But like, here's an example. I recently went through the book of Ephesians and Romans, and I felt like I got so much out of it. Like I literally had notes for like every other verse I felt like. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, I started Ruth and or not Ruth I started Esther and I was like I haven't read this in a really long time um and I feel like going through it I'm getting like this story but I'm not getting anything applicable to my life Mm -hmm. so it's like how do I if I'm reading something like how do I know what to look for in terms of like for my life personally yeah one of the things I'd say is sometimes it's helpful to have a bible that will kind of introduce you to that story at the beginning and so sometimes there are bibles and really like introduction but you could also find an introduction online so don't be like oh well this bible's no good I need to go buy another one um because you can find those introductions online but um I think too is kind of you kind of have to understand the context and so one of the things that I'll use and jump out of that kind of help me with that is sometimes there's other books that can be devotional ish. Like Max Lucado is an author that's been around for a really long time. And like literally the book that he just wrote is on Esther. But I think one of the things is that new Testament is written to us as Christians. And so it's a lot easier to pull these things out of it. Whereas the old Testament, we're more picking up principles through Christ than we are trying to examine how it's the same. And that one's a very interesting one because it doesn't really mention God at all in it. And so you kind of have to know that going into Esther, that this book's not going to mention God, but you can see God at work in it, but you're not, but it is kind of that story of God being used and understanding the story kind of helps you, but trying to draw for your everyday may be tough because it may not fit where you're at, other than you can know that there's a story that you can fall back on as a young lady, that if you're, you know, uh, having the wisdom of when to stand up for your faith and when not to, and you can look at that story and gain that. But as far as like, hey, I'm reading kind of verse by verse through this, you know, sometimes the Bible has really cool stories that we learn from, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pull out a daily application. But I mean, the the biggest way to understand the Old Testament too is that it kind of lets you know that there was nothing that we could do that was enough. And that's why Christ had to come. Yeah. When you read the Bible, I think if you could find something online or a Bible that has it, but something that gives you a little bit of introduction. So you kind of understand how this reads and to 
also give yourself the grace and knowing that when you read a chapter, a passage and stuff like that scripture, it may not, because understand all the, all the verses, all the chapters got added later. That wasn't oh, in the original content. Yeah. yeah there were in letters. The Bible. Right. Yeah. There were letters and we went back and added that because it makes for quick reference and stuff like that. But that's more, the chapter and verse is more of a modern phenomenon. So like when Esther gets read, that's probably getting read together as a whole story where you and I might be reading the chapters going, okay, well, there's not much in this chapter that helps me. I'm saying there's several movies on Esther too. Like one time I just, I think I had like, I don't know, for some reason I was sick. When I'm sick, I like to watch like only shows that I would watch anyways. And um, it for me, it just helps you understand it better. So that maybe you read Esther today and you think it's the boringest thing ever, but in five years, like it totally speaks to you, you know? So mm -hmm. like, that's the cool thing about it. So yeah. do y'all understand like the difference in the old and the new Testament? So, that's the big ones. The old Testament kind of prepares you for Christ and allows us to see that we're not enough. And then the new Testament kind of shows you that living out and following Christ. And the old Testament was essentially for written for, for Jewish, Jewish people, which, you know, remember Jesus was Jewish. He came and he, and he, he is Christ. Obviously he is the reason for everything, but everything points to Jesus. Like it's, it's all about Jesus. But um, for me, like I was just reading the whole Bible in a year and I'm reading, like I got through numbers and I've never wanted to like bang my head against the wall more when you're reading numbers and telling you like, and then if you, and then someone sins and your brother sins and you need to sacrifice a goat and then a lamb and then do it like this many times. But the cool thing about that though, those boring, long, all these sacrifices and all this stuff, it was just a reminder of how amazing it is that you and I can just talk to this holy God like all you know generations and generations used to have to go sacrifice all these doves and goats and it was money and it was time and they had stuff to do and it was so it was bloody and it was disgusting and to pay for your sin and then and even then like the, to pray they had to talk to this this priest who would go to this room that was holy of holies and there was this big curtain and they had to burn incense and all of this stuff to talk to unholy God and then if you know the story, like when Jesus died, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom to show that no man did it. And now you and me can go on a prayer walk or in our closet or right here and talk to this holy God. And, and Jesus paid the way and paid the price of you know, the cross. So I didn't understand that when I was your age. And hopefully you do. And you've heard that somewhere along the way, but maybe that helped you understand it a little better. I don't know. I just find it fascinating. And that's why we're here. That's the gospel. Oh, one of the questions I asked was how to fully let go and trust God. Like, I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm trusting him. But like, how do we actually do that? Like actions. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, <laughs> I think so. This relates is a little bit of a, of a side note, but it relates. But there's a um, there's a book that was recently written by a lady who did a TED talk. So you could watch this TED talk and get the concept pretty easily. And she's talking about confidence, which is not what we're talking about. But she's saying, like, if you're in the middle chair, it, you're kind of have this balance of confidence. If you're on like the far chair, you're kind of like your your confidence is shaken in a way where you're like kind of bullying other people. You're kind of external and how you focus your not being confident. And then the other chair from that, you're kind of internalizing your ill confidence and you're kind of beating yourself up and not being confident. But she's saying in the middle chair is where you show that confidence. People can see that in you. And she says that it kind of cycles in different things. So one of the things that I would say about that when it comes to our faith is that sometimes it cycles. So there'll be some areas of life where we will be 
extremely confident and then other areas where we will not be confident in our faith and what we're walking through. And I think the big thing is one pull from those times when you were strong in your faith to help you in those times when you're weaker, but two, allow God to have control in those areas. A lot of times we're like, well, I must do it if I'm not a good Christian, if I'm the one not doing it. But the gist of the gospel is that we rest in Christ with the understanding that we can't do it, but we allow God to do it through us. And so when we find ourselves in those situations, it's kind of like going back and re-acknowledging, I can't do this. And I need to be dependent on God to get me through this situation that I'm walking through at this time. And God, I need your help to get me through, you know, this situation and then trust. And it's going to be where you're going to grab back a hold of it and try to take it back. And then you're going to have to release it. There's another thing called theophostic prayer, which is kind of like you praying and asking God to kind of take you in your mind, kind of back to that situation and what you're walking through at that time. If it's a Actively, like, you know, somebody says something negative and hurtful to you and that kind of hurt you in that moment and try to see where God was there in that moment through prayer. So you could see that he was with you, that he was, you know, walking through your pain, walking through your sorrows with you in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I always come back to you, God, you're good and I trust you. Like it's simple and profound, like saying it until you believe it. And, you know, and journaling is huge because you have spiritual highs and lows and you know, I think about like the Israelites in Exodus, they're like, oh God, you parted the Red Sea. You provided manna from heaven. Like they literally walked through a parted sea. They miracles upon miracles upon miracles. And then 10 minutes later, like, um, yeah, God, where are you? Like, whatever. We don't need, like, what are you doing? Like, to go back. Let us go back to Egypt and die. Like, who are you? Like, whatever. We're the same way. We're the same way. And so like, if you, but if you journal and you're like, you're in a season where like, God, where are you? But you can look back and Oh, I remember he, he came through here and he came through here and we, we have amnesia. Like we just do. And, um, but we can remember if God was faithful yesterday, then why he's the same God. We're the ones who doubt, but if he's the same God who did an amazing thing yesterday, then why not tomorrow? And I think that that is kind of just rest, um, rooted in, um, fear, fear of the future, fear of the unknown. And, and we're not fortune tellers. Um, but also it's, remembering that we're children and we have a good and loving father. And, you know, just like with my kids, if we, you know, especially when they're a little, like get in the car, we're going on a trip. They're not going to be like, hold, hold on. Where are we going? I need the itinerary. Like I, what, 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 you know, they're not going to do that. They're like, okay, yeah, we trust you. Like no questions asked. Like we're getting the car. Who knows? And I think that having a little bit more of that childlike faith, like you want me to do, you want me to go where you want me to move where you want me to talk to who, like, I don't know. I don't understand, but I trust you. And again, simple, but profound and not always easy. But I think that getting back to that is for me, what's super important. Sorry. I did find a few more uh, anonymous questions in my emails. And one of them was how, how to get over the idea of thinking that someone is the one and versus like knowing that they're the one. This is like not a question. I think I get every time I open uh, the floor to, to my friends. How do you know if they're the one? I mean, in short, I think it's finding someone. I always use a triangle example. If I'm aiming toward Christ and he's aiming toward Christ and then you meet at the top of the triangle, like my pursuit hasn't changed. His pursuit hasn't changed, but we are running that race together. There's compatibility tests. We just went back from, we just got back from marriage retreat. We know some people who met on match.com. They were every compatibility test, but they ended up in marriage counseling because things were not going well. And so I think 
I ultimately think the number one thing has to be a shared faith. There's a million books and a million things. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want one who wants to move to Zimbabwe and one who wants to live on their mama's backyard. Like, you know, there has to be some things you need to be on the same page about. But again, yeah, I think also not just assuming that there is just a quote, one person. Yeah. And if you never find that person, yeah. then you're without. And so. Yeah. Cause we have a friend whose wife just passed away. Like it, I believe that was his, his person. They were great. They had a great marriage, but does that mean he has it? Like he still is a great person who can meet another life partner. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. No, well, I mean, I think that's the big thing is give grace and don't assume, Oh, is this is, or isn't the right. I think it's, I mean, Katie talks about this all the time, but it's like growing yourself and becoming the best person, but then also managing the tension of having high standards based on what God asked of you, what God asked of them, but not such high standards that it's like, oh, well, they must have blonde hair and not be balding and, you know, all these other crazy things, right? It's like, yes, you should have high standards, but then sometimes we get that into like these details that are going to be impossible to match up to. And I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky because we're like, you should have high standards for some things, but then they must be- Have an open hand. Like, yeah, have an open hand. Like, God, hey, but, you know, but I trust you. God, you're good. I trust you. I would like A, B, and C, but you know better than, you know, than I know for myself. And then the other question was like, how do you let go of someone that you thought was the one? So like, you know, probably a good relationship and ended for whatever reason, letting go. I mean, I think the most practical thing is being away for a season because you're dwelling and everything else. So it's like removing everything from the phone, removing, just removing yourself season because you have to i mean there's a grieving process in those things and we don't like to grieve i mean we're not very good at it as people and so we're gonna fight to remove that grief and so we're gonna fight to have that relationship even if we know that it's a bad relationship just because we don't like that grieving process and we don't want to go through it and we think that it's going to make things better by not going through it but if you think about it a lot of times the parts of life that we grieve later become the stories that we tell that help other people who are walking through a difficult situation. You know, like Katie would not have the story that she has had she not walked through the heartache that she walked through in college um, to share with other people to try to help, you know, reduce the heartache that they walked through while they're in college and 20 something life. So yeah, for sure. Okay, I have another one because this is something that I struggle with and I know a lot of people my age struggle with having the desire to make the right decision because you want to please the Lord and not just because you know in your heart that you're saved. And if you don't do the right thing, then he'll forgive you. And I don't do that consciously. I'm not like, well, I'm going to sin because I'll be forgiven. But I do that subconsciously. It'll be in the back of my mind and I'll make a decision and I'll like push away like, oh, I shouldn't do that. So like knowing how to live my life, wanting to live my life, my life the right way. Um, just any insight on that? Well, I think one thing is to acknowledge that we're the greatest salesman to ourselves of yeah. bad ideas, right? Like, like we would never allow somebody else to talk to us the way we talk to ourselves and convince ourselves to do stuff that we know is bad for us. So we're kind of like the greatest salesman we know of bad ideas. And so one is acknowledging that we're that person. We can't blame somebody else. We're that person who convinces us to do. But I also think community is a huge part of that. Being in community for other people, but being willing to receive from that community when they call us out on, because we'll have, 
you know, that salesperson who convinced us of all of our bad things and has to defend why they convinced us to do those things. So with that community, so trying to find the inner circle, it's not just anybody, but trying to find that inner circle people. And one of the things that I think um, that we don't do that maybe we should do more of is ask people. You and I, we seem to get along really well. Would you be that preferably somebody of the same sex, but would you be that person that kind of holds me if you will, accountable, but kind of be it for each other. And I think that's the key thing is sometimes people say, oh, you should go find somebody to do this for you. Well, but in an ideal world, you're finding somebody you're like, well, Brian, what if I don't have that person? Well, then, you know, that's where I think when J- Katie was talking about journaling earlier, then kind of journaling those thoughts, you know, where you're struggling with, and then give that kind of over to God and depending on, sometimes people like to have a record of it. Sometimes it helps people if they tear it up and throw it away. Some people, you know, set it on fire. <laughs> Some people keep it, whatever kind of works for you to deal with that and to give it over to God when you're walking through those things. I think the biggest thing is having a community of people who even just their presence holds you accountable. Even, I mean, like silly stuff, like I get up in the mornings and I go to the gym and I get there at five and there's people and they don't even know that they hold me accountable, but because I see them every day, I feel accountable to be there as well. So it's almost like, you know, being in a small group with people, though they may not be saying anything to you or speaking into what you're dealing with in that moment, just knowing that you're going to be around that group every week or every other week, that might help hold you accountable. And hopefully you develop a stronger, stronger relationships in that. And as you connect with someone to be one to say, hey, could we be, you know, could we hold each other accountable, you know, in these areas of our life? I think it's super big. Yeah. And then just going back to, you know, saying about reading that Leviticus and numbers, how in not so recent human history, like when people sinned, there was all these ridiculous, you know, things we had to do and sacrifices people had to make to write themselves with God. And we live in this after Jesus time where we don't have to do that. And we can just go to God and ask forgiveness, which is wonderful. And we're so thankful we live on this side of grace, but you know, it hasn't always been that way. And we do serve a holy God and we do serve a jealous God and he loves us and he's a gentleman and he, he wants you and he pursues you. Stay with me. But the best example I have is when we had chickens. Um, so we had like 10 chickens and we had one especially stubborn one and they had gotten out one morning and so they're all running around and I need to get them back in their coop. I've got to get the kids to school in their coop is where they have food and water, where they are safe from predators. Chickens are the most delicious thing on the food chain. If you've ever had chickens, you know that like a dog, a raccoon, anything will eat them. So I have to get them back in their coop before I get the kids to school. And I have one particular chicken who will not go back in the coop. She's stubborn. I'm like, fine. Good luck out there. I got to get my kids to school. Like have fun. I go to take the kids to school. I go to the gym. I come back. And I, if chickens could talk, like she's running up the hill, like you left me out here on my own. I almost died. Like she's squawking at me. I'm starving. My food's in there. What? Like you've left me all by myself. And I'm like, I tried to tell you. And so I think that like, sometimes that's God. Like we're like, I God, I know better than you. Like, thank you for trying to like, whatever. I don't need you. Like I know better. And sometimes he's like, good luck. And, you know, and then we're a hot mess. And then we come screaming and crying back and we're like, you left me out here. And it's just the perfect example. I'm, I'm that way too. I'm that way every other day. Like I get it. Like, but we, you know, sometimes it's like, we have a good and loving father and sometimes we don't see it. And sometimes we don't trust him, but I promise he knows what's best for us. And even when we go kicking and screaming, thinking we know best, I, I, it's again, it, almost like a good father and a toddler. Like, Oh, that's cute. Like patting a, a look, that one thinks they know better than us again. Here she goes. Let her, let her make a mess and then come back. 
So anyway, maybe that's just the Katie version of seeing it, but hopefully that will kind of help you realize like he really is good. He really does love us. He really does want what's best for us. And um, our own selfish ways, um, it's human nature and we're going to pursue that sometimes. But I think the more that we can trust and know that he's better, it will just save a lot of frustration and heartache in the long run. Shout out to our Swedish friend for joining us after midnight. Yeah, thank you too. For me, everybody already asked questions I was interested in. For me, it was really a big question. Why does bad things happen to good people? Because I have many good friends and also our family has people that suffered a lot, mm-hmm. even though they were so nice. Yeah. yeah. And it sometimes got me really questioning. No, it, it was really helpful. Thank you. Okay, good, good. Well, and just like here in the um, U.S., there's a hurricane that just went over Florida and there's all these people who had their like houses flooded and stuff like that. And kind of on the joking side of things, there's a um, Christianish comedian named John Chris. And but he was kind of joking, like when people want like their multimillion dollars homes prayed for, like if when something like that happens and, and he's, he's joking, but he's just kind of like you know, the silliness, like your, your friends are probably dealing with real issues and major things are going on in their, their life. And, you know, these people are saying, Hey, my $200 million home, can you second home? Yeah. Second home. Can you pray for this? You know? And so it's just the nice thing of the comedian does for us is kind of helps us see things in a different light. I mean, that's all really comedy is, is just seeing the everyday, a good comedian anyways, is just seeing everyday in kind of a different light. And so we go through things in life that are difficult that we can learn and grow from. And then there's kind of some things that people think they're going through. And personally, it may feel difficult, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't as difficult like those jokes, not like what your friends have walked through. So um, just to make sure you understand that contrast. Yeah. Just perspective. And yeah. yeah, And just realizing like, again, good things and bad people. It's a relative term. It's a, it's, you know, it can mean so many different things, you know, ultimately like, he, he sees bigger, his ways are bigger, his ways are higher. And, um, you know, and I won't ever be able to explain everything this side of heaven, but I have lived enough to see that, like, even if he is good, even when things don't work out the way I would have planned it, it was good. Even the things that I've cried over, it ended up good. I heard a quote that like, if this story isn't good, then the story isn't over and he's working all things out for good. So, well, um, that's all, unless y'all have any more questions, I would like to pray for you guys before, and just this conversation and everything. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for the women who have just asked questions and thank you for this, um, for the space, for this community and these open minds, just to be able to be like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to explore. We trust that you are big enough for our questions. We trust that you aren't afraid of our doubts and our fears that you are, you're here for it. And you're a good, loving father. And you invite us to know you and no other God has has done that. And you rip that veil and you say, I want to have a relationship with us. And we're thankful for that. And you are good. And we are trust you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, sharing is caring. I would love for you to simply take a screenshot from wherever you're listening and share it on social. You can tag me at Katie Bulmer life, or just text it to a friend say, Hey, I enjoyed this episode. And I think that you will too. The biggest compliment you can give is sharing a review on iTunes that really helps other young women to find this podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending some time with me in your earbuds. And I hope that you gain some truths for your 20s.